0: It's Up for Debate on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. where I'll be here live bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports. Now, every Wednesday on Up for Debate, we bring in Sean Clark of the Candid Clark to talk about what he's posted, what he's writing about, and... We brought him in today just for that. Sean, how are you doing so far today?
1: Doing fantastic. It was a fun uh radio show this morning on the Rich Report, uh hosted by Cameron Richardson. That was really fun. And it's Super Bowl week. This is this is one of the best weeks in sports. And that's all a lead up to Sunday, which is one of the best days of the year. It's a national holiday, basically. Super Bowl is coming, and I am very excited. As
0: a longtime Patriots fan, go Buccaneers. Yeah, and I have a Super Bowl topic to talk to you guys about at the end of the show. But before we get into any of that, Sean, you wrote yourself an article this week about the Colorado State Rams and how they're having a resurgence under a new head coach, Nico Medved. Can you kind of tell me about what Nico Medved has brought to this Colorado State program?
1: Absolutely. So let me take you back to 2013. Uh, 2013 March Madness. The, the Colorado State Rams were an eight seed under first year head coach Larry Eustachy, and the Rams had a senior laden starting lineup: Dorian Green, Wes Eichmeyer, Colton Iverson, uh, Greg, Greg Smith, um, and Pierce Horung. The, the, there were five guys that were all starting as seniors in 2013. What happened? Colorado State, they beat Missouri 84 to 72 in the first round. And but then they were decimated. They were destroyed by 26 points to the eventual vacated champion Louisville Cardinals. So Colorado State was really good in 2013, but because they were a senior heavy team, obviously they, they all left. That was the last time that Colorado State made the tournament. Now, who was an assistant coach on that team? Nico Medved. Now, Miko Medved is a very interesting guy. After that 2013 season, he left Colorado State to take over the job at Furman. Now, when he took over the Furman Paladins program, they had won seven games in 2013. Seven out of 31. The next season, in his first season, Furman wins nine games. Okay, small improvement. The next season wins 11 games. But here's the thing. That season, Furman was a 10-seed in the Southern Conference Tournament, and they got all the way to the championship game. That springboarded a 19-win season for Furman the next season and a 21-win season the year after. So basically, this guy comes in to a 7-win program and triples their win total. More than triples because they won 23. My apologies, 23. So 7 wins to 23 years in his 4 years. That's quite impressive, I would think. So, he built up Furman. Now, the next season, he takes over for the Drake Bulldogs. Now, Drake, as we know right now, is undefeated. They are number 25, and I guarantee everyone is going to be picking them to win the first round of March Madness. They're going to be the classic 11-over-6 or 12-over-5. But Drake wasn't that. A few years ago, Drake won seven games. Nico Medved takes over at Drake. They win 17 games and they make it to the College Insider Tournament just like he did with Furman in his last two seasons. Colorado State, dur- during 2019, the year that Drake won 17 games, Nico Medved had to take over a Colorado State team who, whose program was in shambles. Larry was, was was forced to resign because there were allegations of him verbally and emotionally abusing his players and his coaching staff. And this was the same coach that led Colorado State to their best season of the decade in 2013. So Colorado State hired Medved. Like, okay, we need you to come back. Please build us back up because we're not doing so well. Medved comes in. Last season, Colorado State it has a decent team. They won about 19 games, but obviously there's no postseason because of COVID. But this season, but this season uh, Colorado State... Is has been a really strong team. They're currently sit at twelve and four. Last week, which prompted me to write this article, they destroyed Boise State by twenty-two points, seventy-eight to fifty-six. I watched that game; it was a very impressive performance from the Colorado State Rams. They did lose to Boise State two days later, but Colorado State still sits at twelve and four. And I just looked at Bracketology on CBS Sports.com, which is the most reliable Bracketology. If anyone's looking for Bracketology, check out Jerry Palms. Bracket on CBS Sports. That's the best one. Currently, Carl State sits sits at a nine seed, so about what they were back in 2013. They have three really good players with with guards Kendall Moore and Isaiah Stevens, and then their big man uh, David Roddy. He's six foot five, but he does he, he looks like a six foot eight forward. He plays very physical. He has great footwork for someone his size, and he is fantastic against Boise State last week. He he scored 27 points. With 15 rebounds, he was a force on the inside, and he almost single-handedly led Colorado State to that victory. Colorado State has three really good players. Nico Medved has built a really solid program at Colorado State, and I see them being in the upper part of the Mountain West for years to come. Medved's done a fantastic job, just like he did at Furman and Drake.
0: So, and, and we can see the the residual that is left over from from the Medved era in Furman and in Drake. I mean, those teams have have been never been more successful. Uh, than they are right now, and, and they have been with Medved, at least in the, in, in, as of late. So, I mean, he's shown how big of an impact he has, not only for now, but once he leaves, how big of an impact he leaves. So, so speaking about Colorado State, he has an extension through the 2025-2026 season. Well, what do you think the odds are that he stays through that entire contract and doesn't start getting bigger head coaching opportunities uh, around the country?
1: Well, it is very likely that Medved will stay in Carl State probably another year or two and continue to make Carl State good for years to come, as I just mentioned. Carl State will be in the Upper Front of the West for years to come, but it's not all going to be with Medved. I think Medved is going to finish this successful season. Carl State's going to make the tournament, and I expect he'll stay around another year next year. But then the year after, I think a big head coaching opportunity will come. If I remember correctly, I believe his alma mater is Minnesota. So, yes, they have, they have Richard Pitino, but it is possible that in that area there could be another big program knocking. What if Wisconsin is a head coaching vacancy, uh, Illinois, Indiana? There are a lot of head coaching opportunities in the Big Ten area, and I could definitely see him going to one of those schools. If not, maybe a step above Colorado State, which is an Atlantic 10 job. Cause the Atlantic 10, I would say, is like a step above the Mountain West. That it's a very deep conference. And I I could see him taking over a pro, a program in the Atlantic 10 and building them up. And then the bigger teams could be like, okay, you built up a Mountain West program, you built up Missouri Valley. Atlantic 10's the next step up from the Missouri Valley. You built them up. Okay. Now a Power Five or Big East Schools could be like, okay, now we need you to resurrect our program. MedVed is one of the bright young coaches in the in college basketball. And how he's built up Colorado State is a great example of
0: that. So I can see Medved being elsewhere in the
1: next couple of years.
0: Yeah, I mean he's an up and coming coach. Uh, you guys heard it here first. Sean Clark calls it. This is this is the guy to look out for as as far as college basketball coaching goes. I mean everywhere he has been, he has seen success and more success than he had seen the year before without him. So I mean he's making an impact and already at Colorado State, they're twelve and four on the season. They've beaten some pretty talented teams and some tournament teams as well, including uh, a team like San Diego State or a team like Santa Clara, who has been decently competitive. So, I mean, we've seen Colorado State. Do you expect Colorado State to be one of those teams to get an upset? I mean, obviously, everything is dependent on their matchup. If they get a really tough matchup in like an 11-5 and or 12-4 and matchup, I mean, who knows? It could be iffy, but... I mean, what do you think about the potential of this team making some noise in March Madness?
1: Well, right now, I'm just going to look at the bracket that I
0: have pulled up in front of me just to get a reference.
1: So, the, according to this Bracketology, their first round matchup would be the St. Louis Billikens. Now, first of all, that is a must-watch game because St. Louis Billikins is a fantastic team as well. Uh, Johnny Crane for the Cana Clark also wrote an article about St. Louis, and... That, that team has four really good scores. And that, that's, a, that's definitely another team to watch. Javante Perkins, player to watch. Highly recommend checking out Javante Perkins. He is, he is a really good all-around point guard. So, Carl State has the potential to be St. Louis. I think, I think it's one of those games that come down to the very end. And Carl State, with their veteran leadership, although they have sophomores and juniors... They do have a chance to win with David Roddy. He is a playmaker, and I could see them scraping on a win. And that would put him in a second round matchup against Michigan. Now, here's the thing in college basketball. We all know the national title game is going to be Gonzaga and Baylor. I I do not see I do if Gonzaga and Baylor are on the opposite ends of the bracket, I don't see that not being the title game. They're by far the two best teams in college basketball. Gonzaga looks unbeatable. And Baylor just blew out Texas at Texas last night. It wasn't even close. Like, I don't, I'm a mate. I thought Texas had a chance. No, they, they, they got destroyed. It was, it was a 19-point victory, if I remember correctly. So, Baylor and Gonzaga are the top two. But if Colorado State is in the eight or nine, and they can get Villanova Michigan, who are the other two number one seeds, they have somewhat of a chance because... I don't see any team outside Gonzaga and Baylor being the dominant one seeds. Villanova's looked shaky at times this season, and so has Michigan. There's so much parity this season in college basketball that basically the other two Final Four teams are completely unknown. And those 8-9 teams, like Colorado State and St. Louis, are two good teams. If you watch those two teams, they're very good. And they can pull off an upset. So if Carl Steele can avoid the dominant one seed like in 2013 when they lost to Louisville, who was the number one overall seed and who eventually won the title, then maybe they can pull off and ups. And I think with their trio and with David Roddy being a, just an all-around beast, I can see them making some noise outside of
0: the 8-9 and nine game. I will say before we do take this to break, one of the teams that I've been keeping an eye on as far as college basketball goes is Houston this year with Quentin Grimes and Marcus Sasser. I'm a big Houston fan I love the way they're coached, and I expect big things out of them come tournament time. Uh, But we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, Matthew Stafford has been traded from the Detroit Lions to the Los Angeles Rams. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in and make sure you all tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. where I will be here live bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports. In the first 15 minutes of the show, we talked to Sean Clark about the Colorado State basketball program and how they're trending in the right direction. Now I want to move on to a pretty big trade that happened this weekend and you want to check out more of sean clark's point of view he posted this article on the rich report So check out the rich report on twitter at the rich report we're going to talk about the matthew stafford trade now on monday i talked a lot about this you guys already know what my thoughts and opinions are about this trade but i really want to hear what sean has to say matthew stafford has been traded from the lions to the rams how big of an impact is matthew stafford going to have as a ram well
1: I I hate I hate to be blunt, but quite simply, I think that this elevates the Los Angeles Rams to instant Super Bowl contenders. I don't want I I try not to overreact. Like obviously that's something a lot of media tend to do. I try not to overreact. However, there are two major reasons why I think this vaults Los Angeles Rams to instant Super Bowl contenders. Number one, let's look at the NFC, shall we? The New Orleans Saints are about to take a massive tumble. They have to shed. $112 million. Sorry, I think it's either $112 or $125 in cap room. That's a lot. That's a lot of key players. They're going to have to get rid of. Drew Brees is going to retire at some point. There's no way he's coming back next year. He just doesn't have it anymore. They're going to start, they're going to have to start either Jameis Winston if he returns or Taysom Hill next season. And with with them having to shuttle this the defense is going to be as good. So the Saints are going to take a tumble. We all know this. Tom Brady obviously is greatest of all time, and he's in the tenth Super Bowl. But how good are the Buccaneers going to be next year? It's they're still probably going to be good. So you have the Buccaneers, you have the Green Bay Packers. Okay, they'll probably still be just as good, probably. But after that, what do you got? After that, so you have the Buccaneers and the Packers, who was the, the NFC title game? Let's see what we got outside of that. The NFC East, there's not a single really good team now. If the Washington gets Deshaun Watson, maybe that's a different story, but let's just assume that won't happen. Because after the Stafford trade, I think Deshaun Watson to the 49ers is the best fit. Now, let's go to the, NF- let's go to the NFC uh, North. Outside the Packers, nothing. NFC South, nothing outside the Buccaneers. NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks are a very flawed team. They struggle to run the ball consistently. Their offensive line is one of the worst in the league. And their defense, we're not sure which unit's going to show up next year. We, we, we don't know about the defense. San Francisco, as of right now, their quarterback situation is unknown. If your quarterback situation is in that, that's not very good. San Francisco doesn't, doesn't quite have the team right now to overcome that. The Cardinals are a mess with Cliff Kingsbury. And, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the NFC West. So right now, the LA Rams, they had the top defense last season. They had the top-ranked defense, and they had the top-ranked pass defense. They have the best cornerback in the NFL in Jalen Ramsey. They have the best defensive player in the NFL in Aaron Donald. They are loaded, and they're drafting players that can be good for the future. Safety Taylor Rapp, uh, safety Jordan Fuller, uh, cornerback Nick Scott. They, the Rams draft incredibly well after the first round. And on offense, the Rams have a good wide receiving core with, with Jalen Reynolds and... Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, Joe, and Evertar, he'd be at the tight end, and then running back Cam Akers. The Rams have a little roster, but the main thing that was holding the Rams back last year was quarterback. Jared Goff only threw 20 touchdowns in less than 4,000 yards. Goff's confidence looks shaky, to say the least. If the Rams had a proper quarterback, they would have not lost that embarrassing Week 15 game to the Jets. That was a game that shocked literally everyone. I do Not not a single person even thought the Jets had a chance in that game, and the Jets won that game. They kind of dominated the Rams, too, because the Rams didn't have a quarterback. But now you bring in Matthew Stafford, and this is the other reason why I think they're Super contenders, because Matthew Stafford was stuck on an incompetent Detroit Lions organization for many years. Matthew Stafford had a 5,000-yard season, and he had seven other seasons where he threw for more than 4,000 yards. He had great productivity. But guess what? Oftentimes, Lions had either bad coaching or a bad defense. They never had, they never didn't have both.
0: Yeah, usually it was both of those at yeah. the same time.
1: The, the only time that that this wasn't the case was 2014. But the Lions had bad coaching that season. The Lions were one of the most penalized teams that season, and because of the Lions, even though they had the number two defense and Matthew Stafford and Megatron, they were a six seed and lost in the wild card round to the Dallas Cowboys. So Matthew Stafford. 33 years old, so he still has a few more years left in him. He now joins a Rams team with a great offensive mind, Sean McVay, and one of the best rosters in the NFL. There's no way you can tell me that the Rams don't have one of the five or at least ten best rosters in the NFL. They're loaded everywhere. And the Rams, because they don't have their first-round pick the next three years, this is basically a three-year Super Bowl window for the Rams. They have three years to get to Super Bowl with, with the talent they have on defense, with the playmakers they have on offense, but Cam Akers still in his rookie deal, you have to strike now. And with a good quarterback in Matthew Stafford, who's much better than Jared Goff, I think the Rams have vaulted themselves into one of the three best teams in the NFC, and they will be competing for a Super Bowl next season.
0: I agree with you to an extent, Sean, but there's definitely some things that that I I have to ask you that I, that I I think are are a little bit more curious. Um, so I think the window's two years. Um, I think the window is going to be until 2023. If they don't have a deep playoff push, if they can't get to a Super Bowl, Matthew Stafford becomes a free agent, age 34, he has the opportunity to leave. So I think if they don't win a Super Bowl by then, if they're not the best team in the NFL by then, we we may have a problem. But here's the big issue that I have with the Rams coming up to next year. They had the number three ranked offensive line from Pro Football Focus. And it, it it took a huge growth. It, it was a much better offensive line than last year. They were one of the bottom-ranked offensive lines in the league. But they didn't really change too much of who they had. And now coming into this next year, the Rams have a big decision to make. Austin Blythe is a free agent, and we know that they don't really have that that much money. So how do you solve that offensive line problem? No center, no starting center if you're the Rams.
1: Well... As I mentioned, the Rams have drafted really well in the middle of the round. So, I they drafted Brandon Allen in the in the in the second round a couple of years ago. Even though he didn't work out, the last couple of drafts have been better for the Rams. I trust that they can figure out a solution in the draft. The Rams still have a second round pick this season. I it it looks like they're going to draft a center in the second round and usually centers are usually drafted in the late first round and in the second round. So I can see the Rams solving that position in the second round because the, the Rams have been drafting really well the last few years outside of a couple of
0: Okay, sure. And, and I'd argue that if you look at the later rounds for the Rams, they do a very good job of drafting safeties. They've done a great job of drafting safeties, but some of their other places have some issues. But, I, I mean, if you're relying on a rookie center, second-round draft pick center, that's a little bit rough. That's not what you really want to expect. But let's look at the defense because the defense is going to have a ton of holes next, next year. I mean, there's just going to be a ton of holes. Leonard Floyd, free agent. What do you, how do you replace somebody who has been as impactful and as dominant as Leonard Floyd? And let's keep in mind, it's not just Leonard Floyd. Their second best pass rusher outside of Aaron Donald. Obviously, Aaron Donald is a, is a different type of beast. Uh, Samson Ibakum is also a free agent. So they have a big time pass rushing issue outside of that center of the defensive line. How do you solve that issue?
1: Well, I think they figure out a way to maybe shed some more sellers so they can re-sign Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd was their second most important defend third most important defender behind him. And yes, yeah, Samson now becomes free agent, that's going to free up a few million dollars. And I feel like they have such a loaded receiving core and secondary that they're going to figure out a way to shed some more salary so they can find a way to resign him
0: because they will need him back. So let's actually talk about the secondary because the secondary is also a big concern next year. We're going to see Jalen Ramsey. He's going to be there. But Troy Hill, who was the starting cornerback across from Jalen Ramsey this year, he's gone. He's a free agent. We're also talking Darius, William, who's going, Darius Williams, who's going to be a restricted free agent. He was the third-string cornerback out of that situation. So now they're left with... Jalen Ramsey is really the only cornerback who's there. They have David Long as a fourth-string backup, but their secondary is really in a lot of a tough place right now as well if they can't figure out free agent signings or hit really well in the draft.
1: Okay, well, it's a very valid question. However, I did look into their cap situation. So right now the LA Rams are $13 million in debt, which isn't too bad considering the Orleans Saints owe over $100 million, as discussed earlier. And so if you let's say you lose Samson ebucom, let's say you lose Troy Hill, that's about ten million or so you're losing approximately.
0: they're both already off the books they're not their're their their contracts are not on the books for next year, so they have no impact on next year's salary
1: well i was, I was talking I was talking about like. Uh, what they had this year projected to what it is going forward. But, well, right
0: now they're next year. They are currently like right now going into twenty twenty one. They have negative thirty five million dollars in cap. They are thirtieth out of thirty two in the NFL in cap space.
1: Okay, so I guess when I looked into it, the Stafford uh, trade didn't update just yet. But even with them shedding salary, you still have Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, and you still have some nice young players. Jordan Fuller was a rookie this past season. He's He's going to take over a safety spot. While Darius Williams is a restricted free agent, Th- that, that is a priority. They can, like, okay, well, we got to let Troy Hill go. Got to let Samson Econ go. And maybe they'll let a couple defensive linemen go as well. So maybe at, they're not going to be as good as they were last year because of their holes, but they still have a lot of nice young pieces that that they can use t- to build up. And with two superstars, there's not as much stress on it because John Ramsey can take away half the field. There's not many teams that have that ability to do that in the NFL. Not even, even with Stephon Gilmore won uh, defensive player of the year, even so he was a liability at times.
0: And, and, and I'll say this about Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey is a very, very talented cornerback, but he only takes away half the field because Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd have been putting so much pressure on the quarterback and making their decisions that much more difficult. But when Aaron Donald's really the only one in the, in that defensive line, Michael Brockers, I believe, is also going to be a free agent in the next couple of years, either this year or next year. Uh, I just don't imagine that this team is going to find enough replacements for those holes, and because of that, they're going to have to rely so much more heavily on Matthew Stafford. I mean, Matthew Stafford is going to make this team better. I 100% agree with that, but I'm really curious to see because to to me, this is a team that can either win the Super Bowl next year or bust out because they don't draft and they don't hit on those draft picks and they don't get impact players. Now, of course, they've done a good job drafting secondary players. Jordan Folders, a young secondary player, John Johnson. These are two solid starting safeties in the NFL. So they've done a good job of drafting these secondary players, but they have five draft picks. Five total draft picks next year is going to be tough to rebuild an entire defense and try to replace a starting center. And we're just talking about this team on paper without any injuries. If you add those injuries onto this, it just makes it so much more difficult. But I think this Rams team, like you said, Matthew Stafford is that much of a difference maker. He's that much better of a quarterback than what they had with Jared Goff and let's keep in mind they were in the Super Bowl just a couple of years back and a couple of touchdowns away, a couple one quarterback away from from having a Super Bowl ring. So, I mean, I think this could go really a lot of different directions. Right now, I think if they can solve those issues in the secondary, if they can get a pass rusher who can not or take some of the pressure off of Aaron Donald, I think this Rams team can be super dangerous. But I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the coaching changes in the NFL. Stay tuned. welcome back to up for debate i'm your host kade reed thank you all very much for tuning in today make sure you tune in every monday wednesday and friday from 1 to 3 p.m where i'll be bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports only on KJack radio now sean clark has been joining us since the beginning of the hour we talked about the colorado state basketball team and we talked about the rams and how they're going to change because of this matthew stafford trade now for these next 20 minutes i want to talk about the NFL coaching changes. Sean Clark just published a new article on his website, and it's all about the coaching hires where Sean Clark gives them grades. So make sure you guys go out to the Cannon Clark website, check him out on Twitter, social media, and his website, and just take a look. Look at what his grades are. Look at his reactions. That's what we're talking about right now. And I really want to jump right into it, Sean, with the AFC coaching hires. Now, we saw the Jacksonville Jaguars fell to the number one overall draft pick. And assuming they draft what everybody thinks they're going to draft, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar at the start of next season. Urban Meyer was brought in as a college coach to really bring this team together, put a winning franchise and a winning culture into this organization. And well, we've been a couple months in. How do you feel about this Urban Meyer hire for the Jaguars, Sean? Well, I gave this a B. The reason I give
1: this to be is two reasons. First of all, Urban Meyer is an offensive genius, and that cannot be understated. Let's go all the way back to 2004. He he coached a quarterback named Alex Smith at Utah. And because of Meyer's uh, tactical genius and his play calling, Alex Smith went number one overall to San Francisco. Obviously, the 49ers made a mistake. They should have drafted Aaron Rodgers. That's one of the biggest what-ifs in sports history, in my opinion, is what if the 49ers draft Aaron Rodgers. However, that does not change the fact that Meyer developed the NFL quarterback. Now, Alex Smith is a—I'd say he's had a good NFL career. I'd say good. Uh, nothing more than that, good. He's, especially the last half of his career, it's been better than the, than the first. He really struggled his first few years. So, Meyer did develop Alex Smith. Now, Meyer is brought into Jacksonville to— to be a head coach. He's had no NFL experience, which is one reason why I gave it a B, because it's not an A hire, because he doesn't have the head coaching, NFL head coaching experience. So that's a bit of a question mark. That's really, that's really iffy there.
0: Can you talk about the differences and why that is kind of affecting on your grade between coaching at college and coaching in the NFL?
1: Well, first of all, in the NFL, you don't go recruiting players. You have to sign the players that you want. And that makes it a lot harder because there are players that are choosing between you and other teams. Also, drafting, you don't know how players are going to adjust to the speed and the more complex schemes of the NFL. No matter how complex the scheme is in college, it's nothing compared to the NFL. NFL is more complex. It's more fast. That's why a lot of coaches like Nick Saban with the Miami Dolphins just didn't work. College is a lot slower. It's more spread offenses. Defenses are not as good, so it's easier to have great offense success in college. So because of that, I'm worried that, N- that Urban Meyer is not going to adapt to the NFL as well. However, however... Also, I have to say another thing. Urban Meyer's had health concerns. He left his job at Florida after 2010, and he left his head coaching job at Ohio State after 2018 because of health concerns. So in my opinion, I don't think Urban Meyer lasts more than three years at, at Jacksonville. I don't see him being there more than three years, so he's really a short-term hire. But the reason why I give it a B instead of a C It's because Urban Meyer does know how to develop quarterbacks. This is a guy that won the national championship game with Cardale Jones. Uh, Cardale Jones. When was the last time we've heard that name? What, two, three years ago? Also, this guy made Tim Tebow look like a competent quarterback. I I still don't know how he did that because it boggles my mind to this day. But Urban Meyer does know how to develop quarterbacks, and he's going to get Trevor Lawrence, the best quarterback prospect, since Andrew Luck back in 2012. I think that he will help develop Trevor Lawrence well. I think he'll build up a great offense. I think he... D.J. Chark is already a solid receiver. And James Robinson, what a find. Seventh-round running back. And he gained over 1,000 yards. He's one of the top five rushers in the NFL. Phenomenal find. So Jacksonville, with Trevor Lawrence, will have an an offensive foundation. And I think Urban Meyer, in his three years, will build Jacksonville's offenses up. But the defense is going to be a mess. And I think that they're going to have to bring in a new coach to fix the defense,
0: and then Jacksonville can start to become a playoff contender again. So a couple of years for Jacksonville, but Urban Meyer is really here for the quarterback position. He's here to get that quarterback ready, and I think you're not giving Cardell Jones enough credit. What about his great times with the D.C. Defenders last year? Okay, Cade. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Let's not forget. Uh, all right, moving on to another AFC head coaching hire. We saw Robert Sala get hired to the New York Jets and is this one one of your favorite hires of the offseason Sean
1: a plus hire to me there is not a single concern I have about this hire now let me let me pull an example I think that Robert Sola is going to be a long-term version of what Kevin Stefanski did at the Cleveland Browns this past season now Kevin Stefanski is going to win coach of the year if If Kevin Stefanski does not win Coach of the Year this year, something is seriously wrong with how they determine these awards. Because Kevin Stefanski took a joke of a Cleveland Browns franchise. And already, Cleveland Browns, their choking label, uh, the disrespect, the lovable losers, that's all gone. The Cleveland Browns are a legitimate franchise, and that was in the one year of Kevin Stefanski. One year. Kevin Stefanski, on top of him being an excellent offensive mind, one of the best in the NFL he was also a great leader. He built a great culture in Cleveland. Cleveland was one of the most disciplined teams, and because of that, even though they had so many injuries all over their roster, they still got it done. They won a playoff game, and they almost eliminated the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs, that, which is something I didn't expect. And I think Robert Robertsall is not going to turn around the Jets in, in a year. There's simply not enough talent unless they get to Watson. I know what you're thinking, Cade. Unless they somehow get Deshaun Watson, which I don't know if that will happen. It's possible, but I just don't know. So I'm just going to assume that they don't. Okay, I'm just just going to assume that they don't. It's going to take a while to build up the New York Jets. The New York Jets have one of the worst rosters in the entire NFL. Outside of a couple good defenders like Marcus May, John Franklin Myers, and Quentin Williams, they don't have much talent really anywhere on the roster, especially on the offense. If Jamison Crowder is by far your best offensive weapon, something's wrong. And I'm not disrespecting Jamison Crowder. I love me some Jamison Crowder. But he's not a number one receiver. I'm sorry. He's not. He's a good number two, good good number three in the slot, but he's not a number one. So it's going to take a while for the Jets to become respectable. again. I think it's going to take three or four years. But Sala is an excellent defensive mind. Remember last year how San Francisco was battered by injuries completely? Four were was still the fifth-ranked defense, Cade even though Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas were out for the entire season. He is a defensive genius. He also is a leader that literally everyone in the San Francisco locker room respected. Look how much Richard Sherman was endorsing him to become a head coach. He's got the defensive mind. He's got the passion. Just just watch him on the sideline during games. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a kick to watch, especially during the 49er Super Bowl run. His reactions were just legendary.
0: And I, do, I actually do want to say something about Richard Sherman having glowing endorsements for Robert Sala that's something that you really need to take a look at because once Richard Sherman is done with football, Richard Sherman is one of the most capable coaches at for, or as a former NFL player, and I expect him to really jump into that role. So I, I think that's a huge endorsement.
1: It is. No, Richard Sherman is one of the most intelligent football players, in my opinion. I think he will be a head coach sometime in the future because Richard Sherman is really a player of respect, and he really turned around his image after... You know what? I don't even have to mention You know exactly what I'm talking about. The Michael
0: Crabtree situation back in the day. The Michael
1: Crabtree. Still one of the most hilarious things ever. But the fact that Richard Sherman endorsed him, the fact that Robert Sala coached a battered 49ers defense to the fifth-ranked defense, which still blows my mind. I looked up, like, where does San Francisco rank in total defense? Like, probably, like, upper teens, lower top. Fifth? Wow. So Robert Sala is perfect. He is by far the best head coaching hire this offseason. It is great for the Jets to get him. It's going to take a few years to build up the talent. but And GM Joe Douglas has shown that he can be a capable GM. Much better than whatever garbage they had previously. I, I, don't, I don't even know. But Robert Sala with his leadership, his defensive ability... And he's going to build a culture with the Jets that's going to make them a respectable franchise. It's just going to take longer than Kevin Stefanski. Because Kevin Stefanski was given a bunch of talent that Freddie Kitchens misused. Now Robert song gets to build up the roster and establish a great culture. I love this. Jets fans should be very excited. He got the number two pick. There's a lot you can do with it.
0: Yeah, and let's keep in mind, they're going to go quarterback if they don't somehow keep on the same Darnold. But I absolutely love this hire Because in my opinion, this hire is the difference between the Jets landing Deshaun Watson and them not landing Deshaun Watson. I mean, they're I mean, they've looked like a dumpster fire of a team for the last five ish years. I mean, since and 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 we're going to talk about back in the day since Mark Sanchez was the quarterback of this team was really the last time they had any sort of relevance. So, yeah, that's where the Jets are sitting. Did you know that the
1: Jets have the longest current playoff drought in the NFL? Because the Cleveland Browns and Tampa Buccaneers shed their playoff droughts. The New York Jets have not made the playoffs in 2010, the year they... Yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk about their playoffs that year because it still hurts, but the Jets have not made the playoffs in 2010. This, this, the team that's in second place when it comes to playoff drought is the Broncos in 2015. The Jets haven't, haven't made the playoffs in a five-year gap between first and second place. The Jets... Little, because of the Bucks and the Browns, they now have the longest drought. They, ha- they literally haven't even made the playoffs since 2010. Which I just wanted to point that out.
0: Yeah, so um, back to Robert Sala, though. Uh, him being hired onto this team, I think, is the reason why Deshaun Watson would waive that no-trade clause and go to the New York Jets. Uh, so I give this an A++. And if Deshaun Watson ends up on the Jets, it's an A+++. I mean, there's, there's not much better than you can do uh, than that hire. Uh, now, moving on to maybe the opposite side of the spectrum, David Coley was hired as the head coach for the Houston Texans. I've already talked about this a little bit. So, Sean, what is your take on this hiring? Oh, boy.
1: And uh, in, in my article is not very kind about this hire. I try to be fair. I try to look into it, but I'm sorry, Cade. I, I couldn't do it. I, I had to. Uh, this hire gets a D. The only reason it's not an F is because David Coley is a good leader in the locker room, John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. He gave a glowing endorsement about his leadership qualities. But if that's the only thing you bring to a team, what what are you doing? I, I have to mention a couple things about David Coley. I'm sure he's a nice man, and I'm not trying to disrespect, but facts are facts. Okay, 2014 season, the Kansas City Chiefs went 9-7. Their receiving core did not catch a single touchdown pass the entire season. Which, to say that about the Kansas City Chiefs nowadays, it's just mind-boggling. But yes, at one point in the last decade, the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiving core went an entire season without catching a touchdown pass. Now they're the best receiving core in the league. How things change. Not a single one. Who is the wide receiver's coach? David Culley. All right, Kate, let's fast forward to 2020. He is the wide receiver's coach of the Baltimore Ravens. Do you know where they ranked in passing? 32nd. This is the man you want to hire as your head coach, really. Now, I get the Houston Texans head coaching job is the least attractive out of all thirty-two teams, and it's not even close. You don't even have your top three pick. Your franchise quarterback once out, JJ Watt once out. Please, please trade JJ Watt. I, I, I can't beg enough. Please trade JJ Watt. Trade him to Pittsburgh. Let him, let him play with his brothers. That, that'd be really fun to see. Okay. Unless Eric Bieniemy and Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, both told you no, there is literally not a single reason on the entire planet why David Coley should have been hired over those two. Unless they both told you no, then, well, whatever. But really? David Coley, a, a wide receivers coach who doesn't even know how to coach wide receivers? Really? He's simply going to be a scapegoat for the next two seasons. The Texans are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Oh, I... I would. I am so thankful I'm not a Houston Texans fan. Like I, I root for the Seattle Mariners. That's a bad MLB franchise to root for. They haven't made the playoffs in 2001. But I'm, I'd rather be a Seattle Mariners fan than a Houston Texans fan because this is awful. I'm, I have really seen a franchise in such dysfunction like the Texans.
0: Yeah, no, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I will say this, Sean. I, I remember having you on my podcast uh, during last season, and I told you, that the Houston Texans job, once it becomes available, is going to be the worst job in football. And you thought I was crazy at the time. You thought I was crazy. They have Deshaun Watson. They've got all this potential. But the ownership and the leadership for this team is not suitable for what you need to run an NFL franchise. And it's and it's been clear. So, I mean, David Coley is here. I agree. He's a scapegoat. They're going to have him for two years while they try to rebuild this roster. And I think once this roster is at least somewhat rebuilt, they're going to move on and find who they actually wanted to hire, And that's just kind of the reality of the situation. I want to move on. We have only about 10 more minutes left in the show. We got four more coaches to talk about. There was one more coach hired in the AFC, and that was Brandon Staley. Can you talk about that hire for me, Sean?
1: This one's a lot more simple than some of the other ones we've talked about. Staley was the defensive coordinator. Oh, hey, we talked about this team already in the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams had the top-ranked defense and the top-ranked pass defense. Staley was a great leader for the Rams' defense. He brought a, a ferocity, a tenacity that we didn't see for the Rams in previous seasons. And because of that, the Rams really carried a bad quarterbacking team, not just to the playoffs, but a playoff victory as they beat the Seattle Seahawks 30-20. to Staley now takes over a Los Angeles Chargers team that, let's be real, they were horribly coached last season. You're down 10, no timeouts against Buffalo, and Justin Herbert just threw a Hail Mary, and you're going to run the ball up the middle and with no timeouts? What? Also, how do you blow a 24 lead of the Broncos? Also, why do you punt in overtime against the Kansas City Chiefs? That's just three examples. I don't want to spend more time going into more examples, but that that's bad. But Brandon Staley is a disciplined coach. He's young. He's got energy. And he's going to help build up a Chargers defense that was already 10th overall.
0: Yeah, and that's been their biggest issue is having... Uh, the defense be consistent that's the thing is they have had quarterback play for just the, in general for the san diego chargers since philip rivers i mean they've had the quarterback play and they just haven't really had the the capabilities in the team around it to actually get it done they have justin herbert we've shown the talent he has let's see if if staley can can put this team over the edge uh, i expect them to be a better team with staley as the head coach i think Anthony Lynn made a lot of really questionable decisions. And ever since he benched Austin Eckler for Melvin Gordon after Melvin Gordon was holding out, I, I knew that that was just not, not the leader that this Chargers team needed. So I, I, do, I, I think this is a good uh, hire for uh, the Chargers. I want to move over to the NFC first with Arthur Smith being hired to the Atlanta Falcons. How do you feel about that hire?
1: So, fun fact, he is the son of, Fred, of FedEx uh, founder Fred Smith. So, his father actually has, has more money than the owner of the Falcons. That's, that's just a fun little fact I had to throw it out there. But, Arthur Smith, I gave this hire a B+. The reason I didn't give this an A is because Arthur Smith is very inexperienced when it comes to being a head coach. Now, obviously, a lot of these coaches are first-time head coaches, but Arthur Smith he he worked his way up from Tennessee, he really hadn't been outside of Tennessee in the last decade. So I don't know how he's gonna to adjust to a new team. And I don't know about his leadership qualities. He seemed to be more of a, a quiet kind of coach. However, here's why it's a B plus. He is an offensive genius. This guy single-handedly resurrected Ryan Tannehill's career. Remember Ryan Tannehill in Miami? He was a quarterback who often got injured and he was considered a bust and a mediocre quarterback. Now Ryan Tannehill, I would argue, is a top 10 quarterback. I I it's just debatable. He a higher teens lower top ten somewhere in that range. He's in the top half of NFL quarterbacks, and he's a franchise quarterback that Tennessee needed. Because Ryan Tannehill with Derek and Ray J. Brown were fantastic to and Arthur Smith really used used them the best. Tennessee had the worst pass rush and third down defense last season. The Tennessee Titans still won the division somehow, even though the Indianapolis Colts were a much better all-around team. Arthur Smith is a great play caller. He maximized his offensive talent. I think he's going to do the same in Atlanta. Now, Atlanta, they could trade Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, but it doesn't look like they will. I, I read articles saying that they probably won't. So that means that Arthur Smith gets to start his tenure in Atlanta with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and he gets to build the roster around them. They don't have much talent outside of those two. So Arthur Smith gets to, gets to build it up, and he still has veterans that he can, he can coach well, and with his offensive prowess and, and excellent situational play calling... I, I see the Atlanta Falcons' office take an improvement. But they need to draft well defensively. They need to build up their defense and allow Arthur Smith to use the best out of their offense. I'm, I just mainly am worried about the leadership that Arthur Smith brings to the Falcons. But they don't really have troublemaking players, so I'm not too worried about that.
0: Yeah, and Atlanta's kind of in a weird situation right now where it's not really a rebuild at this point, but it definitely is getting to that point. If they can't get to the success
1: fourth overall pick
0: fourth overall draft pick, but I still wouldn't consider it a rebuild. I think they could do a lot of things, make a lot of noise next season, just based off of having the weapons that they have with Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones and Hayden Hurst, having the quarterback that they have. We've seen Matt Ryan and the success that he can have. I think he's, taken a few steps backwards since his MVP year, but I mean who knows what they're gonna be able to do. I'm interested to see what Arthur Smith can do. Now moving on, we only have two more head coaches to talk about. Dan Campbell was hired as the Detroit Lions head coach. This one I am not a big fan of. I'd like to hear what you gotta say about it. So I I'm
1: trying to remember I either gave this a C or a C minus. I think I gave this a C. Now Dan Campbell does have good leadership qualities. He was the assistant coach for Sean Payton. And the Saints culture the last few years was a was really good. They had a very tight-knit unit. Even though they had some characters, they had a tight-knit unit that allowed them to have success. They had a very good run the last four years, even though every single season ended in heartbreak. Now, the the thing about this, first of all, biting kneecaps. Did you really have to say that, Dan Campbell? Biting kneecaps. <laughs> I'm not making this up, I swear. But aside from biting kneecaps, uh, Dan Campbell, I, I got to ask myself, outside of leadership qualities, what does he bring to the Detroit Lions exactly? Like, I, I have to ask myself this. i looked into his background. He was an NFL tight end and he was a tight ends coach. Cool, so you can coach tight ends. What about 22 starters on the roster and 53 men? Uh, like, uh, like, like, uh, th- th- There's only like three, four tight ends on a roster at most. So, I, I'm glad you can make T.J. Hawkinson legit. Like, okay, that's great, but what about everyone else? I, I don't see this working out too well for Detroit Lions. The only reason I gave this a C, not a D, like David Culley is because Dan Campbell did bring in a really good staff. That I will give Dan Campbell that. He brought in a bunch of great staff members like former players and Aaron Glenn and Deuce Staley. Players like that. I think that was an excellent decision to bring in a good staff. But as far as Campbell himself, I don't know what he can bring to this team. I don't see him lasting very long. And I feel like the Detroit Lions should have hired someone with more specialty in their in their repertoire. And Campbell's a good tight ends coach, but how about like a general offensive mind or a defensive mind? I think that's what they're going to do in a few years.
0: Well, come on, Sean. You forgot. Dan Campbell's on a six-year contract with the Detroit Lions. They've made their commitment. Now, here's the reason why I don't like this Dan Campbell hire. You said he's got a lot of leadership qualities, and we've seen those leadership qualities with the New Orleans Saints. But let's think about this. When have the New Orleans Saints ever been a losing team? When has he ever had a culture of losing that he's had to somewhat change? He's going to the Detroit Lions, who every single player on that team, all they know is losing. They haven't seen anything else in their whole careers. He's going into a new culture that has a losing mindset. And if they start losing, how does he get them to keep their heads up? How does he keep them to keep playing for him and for each other? I just, I don't think this team is going to look very good. And their roster is a big reason for it. They just traded their starting quarterback for a bunch of draft picks. But are they going to be able to have success and Bounce back when they are losing games. That's my big question.
1: Just one real quick point: 2014 and 2016, which is Dan Campbell's first three years with the Saints as the assistant coach, they did go seven and nine. So I, I do just have to point that out.
0: Seven and nine, yes, but they had a Drew Brees starting quarterback, and I mean they knew they were a playoff team uh, right around there. But I just I'm I'm curious to see how they're going to be able to to react with a losing team. Now there's only one more coach we got to talk about. Sean, we don't have too much time left. Nick Sirianni has been hired as the Philadelphia Eagles head coach. They've made it pretty clear they're doing this hire to try to keep Carson Wentz and revitalize his career. What do you think about this hire? Well, I wrote on the candidate Clark that the coach trade for Carson Wentz, but now I'm starting to
1: rethink that considering that they basically just brought in like Frank Reich's clone. Sirianni is basically Frank Reich without being Frank Reich. That's basically what he is. And... I can see him working well to build up Carson Wentz again. They need to build the offensive line because Sirianni did, get, did have the Colts offensive line, which is pretty ridiculously good. So the Eagles don't quite have that. So all I see Sirianni doing is making Carson Wentz better, but a lot of the roster issues are going to remain. And did anyone watch uh, Sirianni's introductory press conference? I thought I stutter sometimes. That, that guy couldn't finish a single sentence in, in the first part of the press conference. I don't see him having good leadership qualities, and especially the Eagles bring in some troublemakers. I see him losing the locker room. The only good that Sirianni's going to do is build up Carson Wentz, but outside of that, I don't see him improving the Eagles as a whole very much.
0: Yeah, and I mean, as, a, as the Colts' offensive coordinator, he was Frank Reich's right-hand man as far as the offense went, but Frank Reich was the play caller. Frank Reich called all the shots when it really mattered, so Sirianni has never been in that position. I mean, he's... Had a good experience. He was wide receivers coach back when he was with the Chargers. So he's been a good coach on the offensive side of the ball. How is he going to coach up this defense? What kind of experience does he bring to the table that about a dozen of the other candidates don't bring? Other than being Frank Reich's right hand man. I mean, if you wanted somebody who was a a, a similar coach to Frank Reich, why'd you fall fo- fall fo- or why'd you fire Peterson? I mean, come on. I just don't see that being the the right direction to move if they loved Frank Reich so much. Well, they fired Doug Peterson because of what he did
1: with the Nate Sudfeld situation. Like, he deserved to be fired after that.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, they lost that game on purpose, and it, it was clear, but I, th- my point being with that is I don't think they get a better coach than Doug Peterson in Nick Sirianni. I don't think they get improvement and in, in the right direction and moving in the right direction. I mean, Doug Peterson gave up on Carson Wentz for whatever reasons Doug Peterson gave up on Carson Wentz for. That's just going to gonna be how it goes. Uh, but that's going to do it for this first hour of Up for Debate. Make sure you check out The Candid Clark at his website at thecandidclark.com or go to him on social media at The Candid Clark. He'll post all kinds of updates. Everything we talked about today is something that he's written about. So make sure to go read those pieces and and take a look. We definitely didn't cover everything he he covered in those stories. So go look at those. Uh, I'm going to be right back in just a couple of moments. When I come back, I want to talk about if a Derek Carr trade for Deshaun Watson is possible. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every single weekday, or excuse me, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m where I will be here live bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio. I want to jump right into this next segment on the show. The Oakland Raiders have put themselves out there and have made it clear that they want to get involved in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. and They're listening to offers for Derek Carr to try to see if they can potentially get a three-team trade going to move Derek Carr and get Deshaun Watson. Now, I want to talk about this because I just don't think this is really possible. We're talking about the Las Vegas Raiders who finished last year at 8-8. Eight and eight. So, if they throw in their first-round draft pick and try to get Deshaun Watson, they're throwing in the number 17 draft pick, which is not too bad, but it's not great. And if you look at the value that Matthew Stafford just went for, two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and a starting-level quarterback in the NFL, I just can't imagine that the Las Vegas Raiders can come up with that that big of a deal. Uh, The reason being is they just don't have the draft capital. They have the number 17 draft pick. They have most of their draft picks for the rest of the draft. But there's other teams involved in potentially trying to trade for Deshaun Watson that just have a much better opportunity to do so. The team with the number one overall draft pick could potentially trade that draft pick for Deshaun Watson. The New York Jets have made it clear that they are interested in Deshaun Watson. And guess where they're picking? Number two overall. The Miami Dolphins hold the number three pick. The Atlanta Falcons hold the number four pick. They could potentially move on from Matt Ryan and get themselves Deshaun Watson for that great wide receiver corps. I mean, the number of teams that have draft capital, that have players to move, that have the ability to make a deal are just too many for the Raiders to come up with enough capital unless they're just going to completely dismantle their roster. I mean, I don't see a trade being done between the Raiders and the Texans unless Derek Carr and Darren Waller, plus three or more first-round draft picks, are on the move. I just can't see a trade being done where the Texans settle for Derek Carr instead of going for a top-three draft pick. I mean, I understand Derek Carr played himself played really well last season. He was a top 10 rated quarterback according to Pro Football Focus, uh, but who knows how much we can trust those ratings every single time. Uh, so, I mean, he played well last season. He was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, but still, the Raiders missed out on the playoffs. The Raiders weren't capable of getting there, and a reason for that was their car wasn't as, as quality as they needed him to be. Now, he had a good interception to touchdown ratio, 27 to nine, which is good. 27 touchdowns, nine interceptions. He also had 4,100 plus yards, but this offense just couldn't score, couldn't make it work when it really mattered. And I mean, just looking at, at the way this roster is set up, I don't know why Deshaun Watson would rather play for the Raiders rather than any other team that's available. I mean, they don't have the roster. They don't have a good defense. They really don't have a great offensive line. Their weapons are pretty weak. I mean, Darren Waller is still there, but who knows if he's going to be on the same team if they do make that deal. Nelson Agholor is a free agent, and I think he's as good as gone. Hunter Renfro and Henry Ruggs showed that they can be good, but they can't really be great. I mean, this team just doesn't look all that great if you're Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, if I'm Deshaun Watson and I have my choice of teams, uh, and the Raiders are just not the team I'm going toward. I mean, Nelson Aguilar was talking about how this team gave up, how there's no accountability in the locker room. And this was a publicized story about the Las Vegas Raiders. And the only comment that the head coach John Gruden had about this story that was publicized was that he loves Nelson Aguilar, but he didn't have a comment to the accountability issues. He didn't have a comment to giving up on his team. And 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 he didn't have a comment to Nelson Aguilar at the time when he said all of these things in the locker room after a week 16 loss. If Deshaun Watson gets traded to the Las Vegas Raiders, he is jumping from one dysfunctional franchise to another. I mean, it's just not a win-win situation for Deshaun Watson. So if, if the Raiders are actually looking to trade for Deshaun Watson and can somehow, some way come up with a contract. And a trade that is valuable enough to the Texans, the big barrier is going to be well, does Deshaun Watson waive his no trade clause? Does he want to play for the Las Vegas Raiders? And I just don't think that'll be the case. And then when you look at the other teams that can trade him or can trade for him, there's just much more valuable situations. Whether you're talking about the New York Jets, who even though they are one of the worst teams in the NFL, they had a coaching hired that Deshaun Watson really likes. He wanted the Houston Texans to interview Robert Sala for their job, and he was hired to the New York Jets. So that could be swaying enough to bring Deshaun Watson to the Jets. They've been at least trending in the right direction, even though their quarterback situation is still up in the air. But There's also other teams on the market that are looking to potentially trade for him. The Denver Broncos have a pretty weak offensive line, but as far as weapons go, they have young and talented weapons that are all over the field. Cortland Sutton was out all year long last season because of a torn ACL. Let's not forget how talented he was and how much he showed that he could really strive as the number one receiver in this NFL. We saw Jerry Judy had some catching issues, but he still is one of the best route runners out of college last season. The Broncos are a much better situation for a draft for or for a trade with Deshaun Watson because they have more capital. They have more that they're capable of trading the number one overall or the number nine overall draft pick. If they are interested in a trade, they've got much more to give than the Raiders do. And the Panthers, they're also a team they're capable of making this deal. So so all I got to say is, yes, there was an article that the Raiders are shopping Derek Carr. And yes, they are looking to try to put together a package for Deshaun Watson. But we have to be real here. Is there any possible way that this could happen? Is there any possible way that the Las Vegas Raiders can put enough draft capital together to get Deshaun Watson, also get Deshaun Watson's okay and sign off, and still be competitive in the next couple years? I mean, I just don't think this trade makes any sort of sense. Now, yes, the Raiders were just outside of the playoffs last season. They were a couple of games going different to really put them over the top, but... At 8-8, eight and eight, they're not the type of team that Deshaun Watson wants to play for. Deshaun Watson wants a new organization. He wants something that's not dysfunctional because he's been stuck in dysfunction for his entire career with the Texans. If he goes to the Raiders, he goes right back to dysfunction. This is a team that six or seven weeks before the NFL season ended, they were in the playoffs, and then they went two and five or two and seven, excuse me, or two and six, excuse me, over the last couple games, and they weren't able to get it done. So I just don't see the Raiders as really being a good fit for Deshaun Watson. Now I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, we're going to be talking about the Super Bowl and the quarterback matchup. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. And make sure you tune in every single weekday from 1 to, or every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m., where I will be here live, bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports. The Super Bowl is this weekend. So I wanted to put the quarterback battle between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes into perspective. Tom Brady has long been considered the greatest quarterback of all time. Quite frankly, winning is in his DNA. I mean, he is a winner through and through. And throughout his career, he has made half of the Super Bowls that he's been able to make it to. And he's won half of those. So, with six Super Bowl rings, with 11 Super Bowl appearances, Tom Brady has proven himself as one of the greatest. But what does he look like compared to somebody in the real world? Who is Tom Brady like in the real world? Well, As far as the business world goes, Bill Gates was the richest man on earth for about 10 to 15 years between 2000 and 2020. That was when Tom Brady asserted his dominance in the NFL. Between 2000 and 2020, Tom Brady proved himself as the greatest quarterback of all time. And Bill Gates had proven himself as the most rich man of all time. He was the wealthiest. He was doing tons for the community. He was advancing society, and Tom Brady's pretty similar in terms of football. Well, Tom Brady is the best at what he does. He's at the top of his tier. And guess what? He changed the game of football more than we could ever really imagine. I mean, pocket-passing quarterbacks like Tom Brady really got very popular during the era that Tom Brady began starting. We saw guys like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, Eli Manning, other guys of similar game styles come into the league and figure out and make their way. Tom Brady was one of the renaissance of really breaking down a defense mentally and using his mind to win a football game. Understanding the defenses and understanding the coverages that these defensive backs are showing and finding the holes in the defense was Tom Brady's specialty. And for Bill Gates, his specialty was advancing Microsoft making Microsoft the best company it could be, providing people with computers and internet services. I mean, Bill Gates was one of the best to do it as far as that industry goes. Now, Bill Gates couldn't be the richest man on earth forever, and Jeff Bezos knocked him off and lasted at the top of that list for a little bit. But I think the guy who got to the top of the richest man's list is going to stay there for a little while. Now, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world. And I think he's very similar to what Patrick Mahomes brings to a football field. Patrick Mahomes has proven himself as one of the toughest and one of the most talented quarterbacks that we've ever seen. But he's just getting started. Just like Elon Musk is just getting started. Musk started Tesla a couple of years back, and it has been growing exponentially ever since. And he is just changing the world in in ways that we could have never really imagined 10 or 15 years ago. Elon Musk is hoping to put ourselves on Mars. He's hoping to get the electric car more on the streets to potentially help save the earth. I mean, he is changing a lot of things as far as the business side of things. Tesla stock is rising and he's doing a great job on top of that. He's also gained some extreme popularity. And I think he's really similar to Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes has really brought a new style of play to the NFL. He is a a mover in the pocket. He's going to keep himself alive in the pocket, but his ability to throw the ball and make passes that are are just so awkward on his arm and and such different passes that that we've seen is really his specialty. Whether he's throwing a baseball pass side-armed or he's throwing it looking away from the receiver, Patrick Mahomes is doing something different constantly on a football field and innovating just like Elon Musk has been innovating with Tesla. I think these are great comparisons because Elon Musk and Tesla are just continuing to rise. Elon Musk is just going to continue to get wealthy and wealthier, and he's probably going to stay on top of this wealthy wealthiest man in the world list for, for quite a while. Just like Patrick Mahomes is going to keep getting better and better, and he's going to continue to be one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, and even though he hasn't had the longevity of the career like Bill Gates has, like Tom Brady has, Patrick Mahomes is going to get there. This is just the start for Patrick Mahomes. This is just the beginning of him really putting his name out there and really proving himself as one of the best starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And now we're going to see these two guys square off in the Super Bowl. And this is something that is, is much is must-watch television. Tom Brady is the guy who proved that he was the best quarterback in the world. I mean, he's the guy who went to the Super Bowl almost every single year and was capable of winning those games half of the time. Tom Brady has proven himself to be a winner when nobody else in the NFL has been able to step up anywhere close to what he's been able to do. But Patrick Mahomes, as a young quarterback, just developing himself into the NFL, only been here for three years, has already shown that he is going to make some moves and he's going to make some noise as far as the NFL goes. And by, by the time it's all said and done, who knows? He might be the most popular, the best quarterback and the most winningest quarterback who ever lived. But this game this weekend is just the beginning of that. This game is just us first being able to see what kind of player Patrick Mahomes can be and if he can win in these really, really tough situations against guys who have proven that they have that winning mentality. Now, the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl last year. We already know that Patrick Mahomes is a winner, but he's not a winner like Tom Brady. He doesn't have the rings that Tom Brady has, and he's going to take a while for him to chase him down and to catch up and be as winning and be maybe the most winningest quarterback ever. It's going to take him a ton of time, just like it's going to take Elon Musk a ton of time to hold that standard and hold that spot as the richest man in the world for. 10 to 15 years, like Bill Gates did. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is already shown that he can do it. He's already proven that he's the most valuable player. He's got an MVP award. He's already proven that he can win. But can he beat Tom Brady? Can he take down the king of winning in the most important stage? That's the big question we have to ask. And this Friday, we're going to talk all about the Super Bowl. So make sure you guys tune in on Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. And we are going into a complete deep dive preview of what's going to happen during the Super Bowl. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to talk about the Nolan Arenado trade finally finalized. And we know what the details are. I'm going to break it down for you guys. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed, and the Nolan Arenado trade is official. And if you're a Rockies fan, well, this one is a complete stinker. Uh, Nolan Arenado has proven himself and has shown himself as one of the top talents at third base in a pretty long time. He's won a bunch of gold glove in a row. He's one of the best batters hitting right around 40 home runs every single time. And now we kind of have to think uh, what's going to happen with the Colorado Rockies after losing such a big star. I talked about the impact that Nolan Arenado is going to have on the Cardinals, how major this is for the Cardinals to bring in a guy like Nolan Arenado. But for the Rockies, I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what they were going to get out of this trade. And quite frankly, I was hoping that they were going to get more than what they did. So, in exchange for Nolan Arenado and $50 million to cover some of Nolan Arenado's contract, the Rockies are going to receive left-handed pitcher Austin Gomber, third baseman Mateo Gill, infielder Alejandro Montero, and right-handers Tony Losi and Jake Somers. Now, this is a big package of players who all have potential. All of these guys are under 24 years old. They all look like they can potentially break out and become uh, relative decent players in the MLB. I mean, I'm sure only a couple of these guys are going to reach the majors, but if they do end up reaching the majors, I, I think we're going to see a little bit of an impact. Austin Gomber has already had a little bit of an impact with a sub-2 ERA for the Cardinals last season in the majors. He only started a couple games, but he was used as a reliever as well. So his performance last season has made him the centerpo- centerpiece of this trade. Nolan Arenado was traded for Austin Gomber and a collection of other players. This is the guy that they are going to rely on to potentially change this franchise. And for a team that has really not had any problems on the offensive side of the ball, helping the pitching staff could potentially be a big time move. Now, will Austin Gomber show the same kind of level of play that Nolan Arenado has shown for the Rockies for the last five to eight years? I mean, absolutely not. Unless he completely breaks out past where anybody expects him to be, I don't expect this to be a great trade for the Rockies. They're also getting a guy named Harris Montero. And Montero is a really talented infielder. He can be used all around, so wherever you really need him. And he's maybe a year out to actually being ready for the majors. So him and Gomber are probably going to be the ones who are the real impact players out of this trade. The guys who we're talking about, five years from now when we're looking at this trade and and breaking it down again. But simply speaking, this is a bad trade for the Colorado Rockies. And the Colorado Rockies know about it. I mean, they are completely disappointed that they weren't able to keep Nolan Arenado on this roster. And they're completely disappointed in themselves for having to make this trade. So there's a lot of questions that are now popping into my mind about the Colorado Rockies and and their future trajectory. First thing is, Dick Monfort said he's considered firing himself, but never Jeff British. British is the general manager. Dick Monfort is one of the owners of the team. I think this is really curious for Monfort to say, because, I mean, if he is considering firing himself, does that mean he's considering selling the team? Or what does that really mean for Dick Monfort? Well, for me, I think Monfort needs to sell the team. He's shown no commitment to actually building a winner and really putting his hands in his pocket and ponying up for the price that it takes to win in the MLB. If you want to be an MLB owner and you want to have a successful team, you have to pay tons and tons and tons of money for those quality players. Now, there's systematic flaws in the MLB that prevent teams with superstars like Nolan Arenado and Charlie Blackman from competing for World Series championships or really even competing to make the playoffs. And the reason being is the salary cap in the MLB is determined based off of however much you want to sell, however much you want to buy. There's a luxury tax that you have to pay if you go over a certain number, but if you have the money, go for it. Pay the luxury tax, pay all the players, and it's all good. But for the teams that don't want to burn a hole in their paycheck. For teams that don't want to spend all of that money to try to compete, there's just no chance that it's going to be competitive. I mean, the Rays have have shown some success in the the competitive department as far as not paying any money, but they're right back where they were just a couple weeks ago as they've traded away some of their better players from last year and Blake Snell. They're losing Jose Alvarado, one of their better relievers. I mean, The Rays are taking a step backwards, and they're not going to be competitive for for many years to come. There's not a a real perfect way for teams to build through their minor league systems and then become competitors at that point in time. I mean, in the MLB, the way to compete is to spend big-time money and bring in big-time free agents, and the Rockies have shown no commitment to doing that. But then we also have to look at why is Jeff British not being considered... To be fired, I mean, he's the one who couldn't form and couldn't keep that relationship between Nolan Arenado and the Colorado Rockies. He's the one who knew that Nolan Arenado was going to opt out after uh, this next year on his contract. So, is this really British's fault? Well, my big question is, what can he do? What are his obligations? What are the what is the ability that he has to actually build an organization? Because with the money that he's provided with the ownership's inability and lack of, of wanting to spend money, I just don't understand how we can put this on Jeff British. Now, Jeff British has not been a good GM in its own right, but if you don't give him a chance, if you don't give him the money to spend, how are you going to see if he can capably and really do it at a high level, put together a good roster? I mean, that's a big-time question that the Rockies have to ask. I really do think that the Rockies aren't going to be a successful organization unless they decide to move on from their ownership. And, and, and the ownership decides to move on and sell the team. I mean, if they don't spend money, they're not going to make money. If they don't spend money, they're not going to win games. And in the MLB, I know that this system is flawed and there's tons of reasons why the MLB has so many different issues, this included. But if their ownership is not willing They need to sell to a team or an ownership group that is willing to make the proper and necessary changes to actually build a competitor. Because at this point in time, the Rockies are not a competitor. And with Nolan Arenado, they are not a competitor. With one of the best players in the world, they are not a competitor, and that is a big-time issue. The Colorado Rockies have dug themselves into a hole, and unless Dick Monfort and the Monfort brothers sell the team, That hole is just going to keep going down and down and down. And the star players that we're seeing develop in the Rockies organization are just going to be traded and moved as the time goes by. Nolan Aronado is the first one to go. Charlie Blackman will be next. Trevor Story's on the list. I mean, these guys aren't going to want to stick around and play for a losing team. A team that has no commitment to winning, has no commitment to actually playing baseball the right way and fielding a quality and talented enough team to do it. There's no reason for them to re-sign. So this is just the beginning, but I expect a real spiraling downhill uh, showcase from this Rockies organization. They have issues, and those issues aren't going to be solved by a quick trade or a couple free agent signings. Those issues can only be solved if the Monfort brothers are not part of this organization group or this ownership group anymore. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, Fred VanVleet had the best game of his career. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. where I'll be bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio. You can also tune in on KJackRadio.org and listen to the podcast if you missed any of the episode before. At the beginning of the show, we talked to Sean Clark about Colorado State basketball, the Matthew Stafford trade, and we talked about the coaching hires in the NFL. Now we're talking about some basketball we haven't talked about so far. And Fred Van Vliet had the biggest game of his career last night. And let's talk about that because the Toronto Raptors have been struggling so far this season. They're 9-12. They're not looking like a playoff team right now. After a big game from Fred Van Vliet, I'm really curious to see how this team reacts. Now, Fred Van Vliet had a franchise record 54 points for the Toronto Raptors. And let's talk about how meaningful this was for the Toronto Raptors and for Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet had the most points that the Raptors had ever scored in a game with 54. He also is now the highest scoring player who was undrafted in a single game with 54 points. He passed Moses Malone, who had just a few points less than that. But now Fred Van Vliet has solidified himself in NBA history. And he's proving to the world something, something huge something big that you can go through your four years of college you can go as an undrafted free agent and there is still a path to success I mean there's still a path to success for you as long as you play hard as long as you put your best foot forward and as long as you're capable there's an opportunity for you at the NBA level and Fred VanVleet has made that completely clear now the Toronto Raptors this season may not be the best team to be playing for but Traditionally speaking, they are a playoff team. They're a team that is comp- competitive. They're a team that won the NBA championship just a couple of years ago. But right now, they're on the outside looking in as far as the playoffs go. They are the number nine seed in the Eastern Conference. They're 9-12. and And really, this is some issues that Toronto really has to adjust to. Because there's no reason that the Charlotte Hornets, the Cleveland Cavaliers, or the Atlanta Hawks should be anywhere near above the Toronto Raptors. Now, the Raptors are pretty much the same team that they were last season. They've got a pretty relatively similar core. Now, they did lose Serge Ibaka. They did lose uh, Marcus Sall. So they lost some, some big men, but seemingly they replaced those guys with Chris Boucher and Aaron Baines. But Aaron Baines hasn't stepped up to the role that they've needed him, only five points and six rebounds per game, and they haven't really been able to rely on a big man like they had before, especially on that defensive side of the ball. So now we're looking at Chris Boucher to step up into Sergi Baca's role, to step up into that backup power forward, potential starting center role. And Boucher has done a good job. He stepped up nicely. He's he's done a good job. He's averaging two blocks per game along with 13 points and six rebounds. But it's just going to have to get better and this team is going to have to be more well-rounded if they want to win more games in the future. Now, Aaron Baines has been a big issue for this team. They signed him hoping he would be a quality starting center for, for the Raptors, but he just hasn't been that. With only five points a game, like I said, and six rebounds, he's not playing well enough on the defensive end, and he's really showing that he's more of a reserve center than a starting center in the NBA. So if the Raptors want to potentially solve that issue... They have the opportunity to move Chris Boucher into that starting lineup. I know that he's already getting good opportunities and already getting good time uh, on the court during the clutch moments and all of that, but putting him into that starting lineup could make a lot of a lot of difference. I want to talk back about Fred Van Vliet. Van Vliet has been one of the best players for the Toronto Raptors, averaging 20 points per game. And he stepped up into their leading scorer, which Last season was a big issue for them. They didn't really know who it was going to be, whether it was going to be Pascal Siakam, whether it was going to be Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry after the departure of Kawhi Leonard. But they're starting to figure it out now. And the Raptors, even though they are 9-12 and this season, I wouldn't dig too deep into that record. I expect this team to really flip that around and be a top 6 or 7 team in the Eastern Conference. Now, they have regressed a little bit in the Eastern Conferences, getting a little bit more talented, a little bit more comp- competition in the Eastern Conference. I mean, the Sixers have shown that they're a really talented team. The Brooklyn Nets, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, and the Indiana Pacers have all earned themselves uh, top five or six playoff spots so far this season. I expect that to to stay pretty similar and along the same lines that it's going. But for the Toronto Raptors, Games like that for Fred Van Vliet, where he shoots that efficiently, 17 for 23, where he plays that well and really puts his team on his back against a potential playoff rival in the Orlando Magic, who's also trying to get in, fight for that 8 seed. They've had some injuries and some some issues there, but I mean, they're still a quality team. But seeing Fred Van Vliet with 11 of 14 three-pointers made, he was perfect from the line, I expect him to just take this game and use it as a confidence booster. I mean, Freddie's going to use this game and, 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 and know that he's a shooter. He's a quality enough player to really have that big of an impact and really take over for this team. Now, Pascal Siakam is still there, and he's still going to be the second star or potentially the first star on this team. But now knowing that Fred VanVleet has that ability and has that that capability when having the volume and having the shots, well, I think the Toronto Raptors are going to give him more opportunities. I think they're going to let him have the the chance to score 54 points again. And when they have such a weak bench unit, uh, they're going to have to use Fred Van Vliet as much as they can. I mean, the only guards coming off the bench for this team is Malachi Flynn, who played three minutes last night. And a couple other guys, Terrence Davis played seven minutes. I mean, really nothing too quality for this bench unit for Toronto. So yes, they're probably going to be a playoff team this year, but I don't think they're going to make it much further than the first round, if past the first round, because they just don't have the depth and they don't have the talent as uh, the, the center talent that they need. I mean, Aaron Baines played 32 minutes last night in this big time win for Toronto and he had four points. It's just not going to do it if you have your starting center with that little utilization. They're not going to worry about him anymore if he's just in there to play defense, in there to get rebounds. So that's what I think is going to happen with this Toronto Raptors team. I expect them to be better than they are now. Playoff team, yes. But a top five team in the East is, is really something they're going to struggle for this season. And unless they can replace some of those bench units or bring in a new star center, uh, this team is going to continue to struggle. Now that's going to do it for Up for Debate today. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Make sure you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. Where I'll be bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio. Also follow me on social medias at the underscore Cade Reed. Especially Twitter. That's where I'm most active. Uh, I'll be posting updates for the shows, the podcasted links, different things like that. So if you guys miss anything, you can always check out my Twitter or check out the kjackradio.org website. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Uh, also, make sure to check out the Rich Report every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. A couple hours before my show, if you're an early riser from 8 to 10 a.m., he's got a lot of great content on there, and you'll get a lot different from what you hear here on that show so make sure to check that out. I will see you guys next on Friday. We're going to be talking a lot about the NFL Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. So make sure you guys tune in then at one o'clock and I will see you guys there.